There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show. I'm very excited to be with you uh, for yet another week. I hope wherever you are that life is treating you well. I've got another great guest today. We've got um, Kath Bishop. I'll introduce her shortly. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the long win, the search for a better way to succeed. And uh, you want to listen to this with pen and paper in hand, uh, no doubt. Um, on um, last week's show, uh, we repeated a show, actually. Unfortunately, my guest um, had to postpone at fairly short notice. And um, I also had a, uh, a little bit of a crisis in the family. So we repeated a show. But the week before, um, we had Dan Cashel. And Dan is absolutely brilliant when it comes to understanding your message, um, your positioning, the packaging of the way that you package your products. And uh, I, I tell you, if you um, really want to increase the performance of your business and you haven't absolutely nailed down your messaging and your positioning, you want to listen to it because uh, it was it was absolutely brilliant. I shall personally be following it with myself uh, with uh, great attention. Um, so do check that show out. And, um, and today, as I've mentioned, we've got Kath Bishop on the show. And I just think this is going to be a really great topic to talk about today because, uh, you know, winning is something that we, we seem to be in our psyche from the day we, we possibly before, uh, when we, uh, we go into school and go into university and college and maybe we, we, we're into sports, maybe we, are, uh, we go into business. Uh, and this, this desire within the human nature to win uh, uh, which is often quite a masculine desire to, to win and sometimes for others to lose um, is is a fascinating thing to really consider because you know if you um, if you come second is that really losing um, actually do we not often win more um, so learn more when we fail now and therefore winning could actually be uh, you know losing but in disguise now my guest today is dr kath bishop She's an Olympian, a former diplomat, a business coach, a consultant, and she's author of a brilliant book. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's called The Long Win and uh, The Search for a Better Way to Succeed. And it's listed in the FT's top 10 business books of 2020. And when you read it, you understand because it's just full of um, lots of thoughts, uh, lots of uh, great little case studies, ideas. Um, but real insights, you know, when you've rode at three Olympic Games, you've won uh, world championship gold uh, in 2003 and Olympic silver in Athens in 2004, you know, you've going to have been focused on, uh, on winning and, and have been part of a machine that wants to win. Now, the thing I think is fascinating about Kath as well is that Kath um, has been a diplomat for the British Foreign Office uh, in her career for 12 years specialising in policy and negotiations on some really tough conflict issues. Uh, Kath had postings in Bosnia, in Iraq, uh, and, uh, and a number of other countries, and you know, really got to experience uh, the, you know, the uh, winning and people having a desire to win 
in a in a global um, kind of perspective. Uh, so now Kath works as a leadership consultant, coach, facilitator, author. I mentioned this uh, this great book. Um, so let's explore this. Let's have a think about what you know where winning has sat, sits within our own lives, within our personal lives, within business, maybe within our politics, and think: Is there a different way? Is there a better way to succeed? So a big welcome to my guest today, Kath Bishop. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Uh, it's great to uh, great to be with you, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this interview. I think this is just um, a fantastic topic, and your experience, your unique experience, you know, will bring a real perspective to it today. So thank you for joining us. It's a topic for our times and it's a topic that we all relate to. Mm. I think we all have this question about what does success look like? Uh, as you say, you know, from, from the moment we're born, we're thinking about what do we have to do to get the approval of our parents or our teachers? And what does my boss want? And then we're later in organisational life. We, we're thinking about it all the time. And yet, I think sometimes we're not very sophisticated about how we think about it and the way we define that question then drives how we think, how we behave, how we connect, how we go on, lead our lives. So let's make sure we're defining it in a way that's actually helping us to explore what we're capable of rather than actually defining it in a way that, that might constrain us. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's lots of books out there about having a winning men mentality and uh you know, uh, w winning over others and, uh, and, and, you know, very kind of masculine way of succeeding. I win, you lose. Yeah, I mean, this sort of macho narrative, as I often call it, uh, is very prevalent in society. And you can hear it uh, in Hollywood films. You can hear it in the boardrooms. Uh, you hear it all over sort of media and marketing. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that sometimes we I think we have good intentions that it's got to be about winning and this is what it's about. And sometimes if we're conditioned in an environment where you're rewarded if someone else does badly, then that becomes your definition of success. Yeah. But actually, we need to think about whether that helps us or the other person in the longer term. What's the result of that? Um, when we have this sort of very confrontational sense of winning, where it's defined by somebody else not doing well, often we don't start exploring uh, what's possible. We're, we're kind of defining ourselves almost, we're limiting ourselves to what someone else does rather than thinking about what's possible and what's possible together. So if we go back to this original meaning of competition, from competere, it is striving together. And that together is really important because for me, that's a very different way of succeeding than if I'm trying to compete against you and I'm against you, you're my opponent, you're my enemy. I behave differently. Uh, you know, I'm actually in a much more of a situation that's fear-based. Um, you know, there's no possibility of collaboration anymore. And yet, actually, it might be that together we can find a better way forward, uh, you know, a different perspective on things. Um, so, you know, if competition is stopping us learning, stopping us collaborating, that, can, that can't be winning, can it? No. Are you, are you saying that we haven't learned, you know, a lot since the ancient gladiators in Rome? Yeah. I mean, is, is, is that really, is it that primitive, how we want to live our lives? I mean, interestingly, quite a few people have said to me their first reaction is, oh, it's human nature. You know, we're wired to win. We're wired to kind of compete and dog eat dog. And, and we have the very narrow slice of how we choose to see our evolution. Whereas in, in fact, the animal kingdom is full of lots of animals that cooperate, that need each other in order to survive. So they don't go around eating each other all the time. It's a bigger, more, more complex ecosystem. And if we look at our own evolution, then in fact, it's our ability to cooperate and communicate in large numbers 
that has marked us out. And there are a number of thinkers now who are who are bringing this point out, like um, you know Yuval Noah Harari uh, is one, and um, uh, the, the wonderful book Humankind by Rutgens is another one, starting to say we need a different perspective because it's not accurate to think this is the only way we can operate. It actually plays a very narrow part of our brain where we sort of, you know, we get addicted to something and we want a a kind of a hit and, you know, we get that dopamine hit. If I do better than you, it feels good, but it feels good for about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then what? And then we can't ever work together again because I've set you up as my opponent. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to look for another dopamine hit, another dopamine hit. Whereas actually, you know, we want to be doing kind of uh, operating to the other part of our brains that is really motivated by a sense of meaning, of purpose, of longer term uh, objectives, explorations. And that part of our brain brings a lot more creativity, a lot more resilience, uh, a lot more fulfillment. So I think we should probably try and be using that part of our brains more than the sort of addictive gambling part of our brains. Yeah. And I guess guess our behaviours got us in the world toward the place that we're at now, really. So something's got to change, hasn't it? Yeah, well, that sort of says it all, really, doesn't it? We, we have laid lots of traps for ourselves. I think there is this real tension, isn't there, between short-termism and long-termism, and you feel that inside organisations. I think that's a good tension mm. to raise, to, to kind of discuss. It's actually the more we can align those, the more we can sort of say, oh, why does this feel in conflict? You know, because then, then there's an important decision to be made. Do we really want to do this in the short term? Because if it doesn't quite link to really the, the reason we exist as a company... I find those conversations really helpful, really help us to find a, a better way forward. Whereas if we're just going for whatever I need to do to get my quarterly figures, whatever I need to do for that next deadline, and that's sort of all anyone's interested in measuring, then we really make some narrow choices that can, that can hurt us over the longer term. Yeah. So that there is short-termism that I think has become quite prevalent, particularly in Western society. And obviously our technology now leads us a little bit more in that direction of wanting information and you know, everything to respond immediately. Um, and yet the big issues of our time most obviously the environment, but actually many others as well, whether it's global health or security, trade. Um, these are issues that aren't right or wrong, win or lose. There's no end to these games. They're kind of infinite games and, and we need to get out of that finite thinking. Otherwise, we can't come up with good solutions where no one person in the world can, can solve the environment crisis. And that requires us to think in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can see um, some work for you with politicians. That's probably the hardest field for this. You know, I think in education, I have really, good, you know, in the book, I look at education, business, sport and politics. And all three of education, business and sport are, are grappling with this. Many people within those fields recognise this. There are movements. There are people who want to shift the way things are done. Probably politics is the hardest uh, because the structures are so sort of self-perpetuating and yeah. because the short-termism is so, you know, so built into the system. Uh, and yet that's probably perhaps where it's most needed. Yeah, I guess in, you know, Western politics, when you, when you, um, you put, you know, some, some great minds come together, but they just hurl abuse at each other and, uh, and undermine each other. Um, that's the way the system's set up, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. doesn't lend itself to collaboration and the best solutions it's uh, becomes you know we need to win and you lose yeah I th- you you literally get elected because you're very good at campaigning and yeah. winning in the short term about things that are largely relevant to the business of governing so we don't have people who are 
really competent at governing. Uh, you can't come through the system necessarily to get to that point. And then, as you say, once you get there, you then have to sort of keep working against your opponents when, you know, so often the best ideas are a, a collaboration of different thinking, working through those, you know, and, and realising that there might be some aspects of your position that isn't completely right, because, of course, none of us are omniscient uh, and perfect and fallible, uh, infallible. And so, you know, that we're almost precluded from acknowledging if we've made a mistake. And that's not helpful to growth, to learning, to the best solutions, as you say. So we've sort of hardwired ourselves. We've trapped mm. ourselves horribly there. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us a bit about, um, we've got five minutes to a commercial break, but can you tell us a bit about your Olympic career? And, um, you know, were, were, you, um, were you a sporty person? Um, and what was the kind of culture like that took you uh, through to, um, you know, the Olympic Games? And, uh, and how did it feel to win, you know, a gold in a world championships and a silver at the Olympics? I'm probably quite an unlikely Olympian and, and maybe that's also why I'm still mm. so fascinated by that world that I got sort of hooked into uh, and had a you know definitely a life-changing experience but not necessarily in the way I thought. Uh, I actually wasn't very sporty as a child, I'm very tall and wasn't very fast at running and that seemed to be what determined the sporty people at school and so I was put in a bucket of not being very sporty and so it's largely by chance that I took it up at university. I, I didn't intend to, it looked very full-on and as somebody who didn't really like getting up early in the morning or, you know, had been deemed non-sporty in my school reports, uh, I thought that's not for me. But, you know, a really chance opportunity, um, you know, somebody got injured, some people who were my friends uh, at the beginning of the university were all trying this crazy rowing thing. And they just asked me, would you fill in for a few weeks so we can do our novice race? I initially promised to do it for a day just to taste it, just to mm -hmm. test it out. Um, but I fell in love with the sport. Uh, the lovely thing is I had zero aspirations. Um, I love the camaraderie. I love being in a boat. Um, the, the kind of need to work on three levels. You're always trying to bring your best ability, your best, what you can give, your contribution. But you have to do it in a way that works with the people around you. And you have to be mindful of the environment that you're all in. So the weather that's changing, the water that's constantly changing beneath you. And so you have to learn simultaneously to work at those three levels, which I always think is a good, you know, a good mindset to be in for, for, for anything we're doing. Um, and then after university, I had this opportunity where people said, look, you've got the potential to maybe go to the Olympics. And life changed at that point because suddenly I heard very different language, some more sort of macho language about do you have the will to win? You know, you've got that sort of killer instinct and um, you've got to be really serious. Don't expect to have fun. Not unless you win. Only when you win can you have fun. And if you lose, you must be full of grief and sort of beat yourself up and show that you're really miserable about losing because that's what winners do. And, and I got caught into this. I got caught into trying to learn this. So I thought, well, these people know about it. I mm. must learn from them. And I found it really difficult, A, to really buy into that mindset. But I also found it really difficult to, to thrive, to improve, to grow. And after some poor results, my first two Olympics, that's what started me really thinking that I might want to do something slightly different. And in my third Olympics, I came back to have a different experience. And that was the beginning of long wind thinking. Mm. Yeah. So, so, and and was, that, um, was that a result of a different coaching style? Yeah, so, you know, it was definitely a different environment. I wanted to have a different experience. I felt very burnt out, very unfulfilled, and the results haven't been good. So I thought there has to be another way. I don't think I've shown my full capability. So I have to find another way. We had a sports psychologist who also asked me, he said, you know, what, what are you going to gain 
if you if you don't win and I thought mm. my goodness you can't ask me that but by by he said come on just just go with me go with me by doing that it's kind of highlighted the longer term purpose of sport it was about learning it was about exploring what I was capable of it was about building really uh, kind of authentic of uh, the collaborative relationships with people communicating recovering developing mental skills so that I would think about the challenge in a different way and be able to get more out of myself uh, and by opening up all of those things these performance ingredients of course then the results started to come so sports psychology takes us tells us to stop thinking about outcomes in order to improve them. That's the paradox. If you let go of them, focus on all of the different ingredients, then you can start to, to get better results in the future. Yeah. Um, so that was helpful. And a coach who was also focusing on improving. So we think about being world-class at improving, not world-class at winning. That happens, it may happen on a day in the future. But if every day we focus on humble learning, we're going to have the best chance of winning when those days come. Yeah. And, and I, there was an example in your book of, um, I, think a, I think it was Taekwondo um, Olympian. And I saw a similar experience with a guest I interviewed on my, on my show who was a, a Olympic swimmer and his focus was two lengths of the pool. Um, so the focus became about um, anything that was, didn't help him get faster over two lengths, you know, was thrown out and the rest was focused on was that like the same for you yeah so we would talk about what's going to help the the boat to go faster yeah. um and we didn't think about would it help us win a gold medal on a daily basis because we couldn't do that on a daily basis and we can't guarantee the medal ever all sorts of things are beyond our control but what we're there to do is to explore how fast we can go to explore boat speed and, and everyone can connect to that and the nutritionist the coach the athletes the psychologists yeah, we're all trying to to bring what we can to this sort of joint effort, the shared effort of making a boat go fast. And the better we do that, the better chance we have on the day when they hand out medals that, that, that we might get one. Yeah, fantastic. We're going to go to commercial break now. Um, after the break, we'll find out more and we'll, we'll move into this subject um, and you know, how you saw this subject in the sort of diplomatic world. Uh, and I know you've got some, you know, the three C's that you talk about, which we can have a chat about as well, which are very interesting. Um, to help us with the some of the solutions to this. So we'll be back again with everybody in just a couple of minutes to join us after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Kath Bishop, and we're talking about uh, the long win. And Kath, just as we to finish you know, around the your Olympics piece, um, Tell us how you how did you feel in this human race's program towards winning? And, you know, we see that in school and sport, politics and business. We see that. And you talk about in a book about journalists wanting to, you know, scoot the right kind of headline. And it's all and they're all focusing on on the results and who came first and not who came second. How did it feel to put all of that, you know, that effort and focus and energy to do something amazing, which was a silver medal at the Olympics? Did you feel like you'd won or did you feel like you'd, you'd failed? It's a good question and it's one I've probably continued to ask myself and that's really part of the joy, driving force for the book, really. I think in one sense for me, um, you know, I'd come seventh and ninth at the two previous Olympics. So to be part of the podium party felt pretty good. <laughs> we had de- definitely given, you know, given everything in the performance. Uh, we had, you know, pushed ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, technically, uh, physiologically, you know, as, as much as we could. So I felt pretty, pretty much we'd laid everything out there. Mm. Um, and I also felt that um, I had a lot of things to walk away from sport with that were going to help me so much in the next part of life in terms of you know, my long wind thinking philosophy and, and all that that was kind of made up of a sense of what really mattered to me, a sort of learning mindset, you know, great relationships and, and some incredible experiences I'd had. So, you know, for me, I didn't want to sum up the my Olympic experience, my athlete career uh, by second crossing a line uh I want it's a story I don't carry medals around I carry the experience around I carry all the stories all the different things that I went through the highs the lows and so it's very hard to see it summed up in a you know in a number in a moment of time for me it's about what it's given me since what are the things that have lasting value but you know I definitely kind of you know part of my brain that had been conditioned to what I'd heard in the playground and all of the early years of my Olympic uh training as well to think oh my god I'm the first loser you know, it's that it's that place that there's a phenomenon of silver medal syndrome that says often silver medalists are the least happy um, because they're sort of one off this nirvana. Um, for a while, I was going to write a book about silver medalists because I thought no one writes about it. And yet it happens yeah. to us all. You know, we, we're in the last two for, to get a job and the other person gets it. You know, you're the runner up at school. I mean, it, it's part of life, isn't it? It's a fundamental experience. But we sort of don't write about it because it's we all we've got to be aiming for the top. But actually, one of the reasons that kind of the book really shifted was I was talking to lots of people who had one and they were all saying, 
yeah, it's a bit of a letdown, really. It's a bit of a disappointment. I felt very unfulfilled. On, you know, it hasn't changed my life positively as I thought it would. Um, and there's this almost this expectation of everlasting happiness is going to come when you stand on the top of the podium. And there's a shock then if you step off and you have the same character flaws and the same relationship yeah. issues. And, you know, that there is no everlasting nirvana at that point. Uh, and that can really hit some gold medalists hard who have a sense that they're suspending all joy until that moment. And you're only a couple of moments on the podium, a couple of minutes. So, you know, then, then what, what was it about? And that was what really shifted my thinking to realize that if winning isn't working for those that win, let alone the many others discarded along the way, mm. then surely we've got something quite wrong here. Uh, and it is about the, the meaning of the journey that leads to the medal or no medal. That's actually what's significant. That's what stays with you. It's the purpose of that journey, the, what the medal might represent. And so I find that when people have connected themselves to what matters over the longer term, to the purpose of pursuing a medal, uh, when they've kind of been really aware of how they've grown and learned along the way and, and kind of had really meaningful relationships, then they're left with something regardless of the medal. Of course, there's, there's some joy, there's some sadness in the moment. But what's left comes from the meaning we wrap around the pursuit of that medal. So, you know, it's really important to say I'm not against winning. I'm not against doing your best. I'm not against excelling. Quite the opposite. I want us to go about it in a way that really helps us to explore what we're capable of and to put a layer of meaning around it that enables us to be more resilient, be more creative and, and create something that has, you know, a ripple after whatever the, the race or the finite game might be that, that's a part of that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, um, you know, is, is brilliant. And, you know, it, what, what you achieved is, well, is, is hugely significant. Um, uh, and you think of all the thousands of boats and people who, who row and then, you know, to come where you did in an Olympic final is incredible. But also maybe as a consequence, we had the gift of your thinking around the long win that wouldn't have happened if you got the gold medal, perhaps. Um, I can't do a randomised controlled trial to, to, to know that. Um, I mean, the, ir the irony that is not lost on me is that had I not won a medal, no one would have listened to my story. And, and that troubles me mm. a lot, really, because I think there were many people that I rode with who were essential to, you know, my experience, how I learned, how I grew, how I achieved the performances I did. Um, and because they, on that day, for a whole host of reasons that may have been beyond their control, it may have been injuries, it may have been an umpire's decision, it may have been, who knows, the weather, whatever it was, um, you know, for them, they didn't get a medal. Uh, and suddenly that that kind of effort, that performance, that learning is it, discarded. No, no person at, you know, maybe at schools or businesses, we don't invite them to our conference. We only invite the person who's got a medal. Yeah. Um, and, and that to me is kind of a really short sighted view of the sorts of role models we want to get. Because if you only got the person that wins that goes to a school assembly. What are you saying? Because we only know we know that only one in you know several millions going to going to win a gold gold medal at the Olympics. So what's the message to the assembly? Actually, most of you are going to fail. Yeah. There's no way a whole school they're going to become Olympic medalists. But what, what is this message? It's it's nonsense. We're sort of saying you've got to be the best in the world at something actually quite narrow, and that's that's what we should all aspire to. No, we need to define success on our own terms. Yeah. Um, we need to be able to sort of clarify what matters to us not have some picture imposed on us so I always feel really uncomfortable that actually the platform I have you know comes from this quite narrow view of what matters but I am trying to use that platform to to help us to think differently 
Yeah, and I think something interesting, very interesting with you as well is you know one of the questions when I've interviewed uh, people who have achieved significantly in sport um, is is what comes next. And uh, um, a friend of the show, Billy Schwer, was a world champion boxer, and it took him four attempts, and he focused on that and focused on it, and eventually won, you know, became a world champion in in Las Vegas. But then hadn't got a plan for what was next and everything suddenly fell apart. But you, you, um, you know, went and worked in the foreign and Commonwealth office and, and became a diplomat. How did that come about? And, you know, what did, how did that expand your, your insight into winning in the long game? Yeah. So, I mean, I was very fortunate that in order to excel in sport, I didn't have to sacrifice any of my education. And so, um, you know, it meant I had had a, you know, a, a really good, rigorous education and I had studied languages and international politics. And this was what fascinated me most. I think in a way, you know, foreign policy is uh, one of to me, it's one of the most interesting, fascinating, endlessly uh, confusing and, and mm-hmm. uh, important issues. It, it's human behavior played out on the biggest stage of all. And that's what interests me. That's what leads me now into this world of leadership development, working with teams and organizations, understanding organizational culture. You know, it's what determines what we go on to achieve so often. So I I find that so fascinating. I think that's what kind of really attracted me to to that world as well. Uh, And so I had, um, you know, I I kind of had already uh, set up to join. In fact, after my second Olympics, that didn't go well. I thought, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to move on. Um, And part of moving on into this different world gave me a a renewed perspective to look back on the rowing and think, no, I want one more go because I think I can do it differently. So perspective is enormously helpful. And it is a real challenge that often, you know, athletes over-specialize, you know, they become overly desperate to win, to justify their existence. And then the identity gets a bit warped and that's not good for performance. And it's certainly not good for well-being. So there is always this challenge, of course, in in a high performance environment, there's a huge focus and there needs to be on the sport. But there also needs to be that 5% of who are you beyond the sport, at least 5%. Mm. So, you know, I also thought when I kind of then went, moved on fully and and retired from the rowing, I thought, right, I'm done with winning. You know, I'm done. Let me kind of try and rationalize that over time. But now life's going to be different. But it isn't. And that's what I found ever since. And again, as a driver for the book, really, was seeing it occur within that world and then seeing it occur within the the business world so much as well. Uh, But the context in which it came up so mostly was within negotiations, within this need to win a negotiation. And the fact that a lot of our work when we were negotiating was around what we thought success looked like, what mindset we took in to the negotiation. And if we had people who have a zero-sum game mindset, i.e., success is you not getting what you want out of this then we're in trouble we're always in trouble that negotiation will not end successfully and any any sort of conclusion it gets is going to be short term because somebody's suffering as a result of it it won't last so a lot of our job really although we had all these sort of technical you know different uh, information we'd be sort of learning about and getting ourselves chained up on the technical briefings and what the topic is and details of that actually it's about the mindset of people around the table and needing to move them from zero-sum game thinking into more of a sort of win-win collaborative thinking, exploring what's possible that we can do together, that none of us can do on our own, that creates something bigger than any one of us singly, that moves, you know, a situation, a country, uh, you know, a sector, uh, an issue 
uh, forward in the context in which we're in. And, and that's an exciting place to be. It's still really, really difficult. But once you're in that negotiation basis, you've got some hope. When you're in the zero sum game world, you haven't. And of course, you know, we have to spend a lot of time to move from one to the other. It's a lot of listening, seeing things from a different perspective, persuading, moving, trying to depict, if you like, that there is a better world if we work together that's better for you and better for others. Uh, and, and to sort of shift that, that value system. It, it, it's working at a deep level around values, that philosophy, if you like, about what matters, the purpose. Uh, but often you can get to a level where we all want the same thing. We just want it differently. Yeah. But we need to create that shared level at which we, you know, we, we want to move a country forward. We want to move a situation forward. And then we can start to think about, OK, well, if we see it differently, how do we gradually bring those perspectives together? Mm, you were t I, reading in your book about Basra. You were talking about that and how, how so many disparate parties who who all uh, were you know, quite warring and uh, we'd, we'd, but they all had a common view that they wanted to make Basra better. So I guess that's that's a nugget you found there, was it? Uh, in yeah, it was. And it was a, a situation where we'd been sort of for years kind of bashing them over the head almost with this. We've got to have peaceful political elections. We've got to have, you know, d democracy. And there was this sort of language all the time. That's what we want. And, and, and none of the, you know, the militias fighting out the different warring parties were, you know, it was just falling on hollow ears. So, you know, fatigue was a big element in helping us to reset, but also ourselves starting to step back and think, look, what, what is the vision? That vision isn't working. And um, how do we think about what's really important here and why they're destroying their city? Uh, and so we started again thinking about, you know, what, what, is it, what, what is it exactly you want? And so the initial layer is we want to be the kings, we want to be the best, we want to be the rulers, you know, we're the right ones. But we started to, to kind of dig under that a bit more and go, well, you know, why, just tell us why you deserve it and what yeah. you're going to do with that responsibility and, and, and what do you really want? What, what, what does, is good going to look like? What's the vision? What's the dream? And then they started talking about, oh, we want to be, you know, like we used to be known as the Venice of the Middle East. And we want to be like Dubai, prosperous. And suddenly there was a language like, well, we want you to be prosperous. We'd yeah. love that to happen. So, you know, and actually all of the different parties were thinking along quite similar lines. So actually we've got, you know, we've got something in common here. And it was the beginning of different narrative, a different language. They didn't want to talk to politicians anymore. They wanted to talk to businessmen. But this language of prosperity, of thinking about business, just gave us a different slant, a different angle, different opportunity to start bringing very slowly some people together and thinking about, do you know what, we do have something in common. Um, we just haven't really explored it. So it's a different angle. It's a different lens. And, and that's often, I think, what we need when we have conflicts with just, you know, on a local level within our teams, within our organisations. It, it's a perspective piece that we need to start stretching our own perspective, listening, hearing others. So we're always taught in negotiations that to get together, um, to move others towards your position. The last thing you want to do is to say how good your position is. The last thing, you know, it's not effective to kind of give more arguments about why you've got such brilliant ideas and why you're right, because actually you just make the others feel wrong and you push them away. We hear that in our social discourse. We polarise by saying how, how much better our ideas are. The only way we can bring someone closer to us is to understand and almost be able to advocate for why they see the world differently from us. And we have to come through their lens through their perspective and try and see, is there a path back to where we are? I have to understand firstly, why do they see the world so differently from me? 
get behind that. That's my only hope to then find a way. How could I lead that path back to where, where I am? Yeah. And there's a, there's a multicultural dimension in there too. Uh, and multi-faith and uh, before we um I just we've got about three minutes till commercial commercial break now but what why you know there's so many philosophers out there uh, you mentioned there the thinking of in the book thinking of aristotle uh, ubuntu um buddhism uh, we could talk you know the best of some of the religions christianity islam which which aren't about you know maximizing material possession etc why haven't those philosophers yet um, well, I could say win, <laughs> won, <laughs> you know, it's probably the wrong word, but why haven't they won over and, uh, and isn't the prevailing uh, philosophy, you know, one of, uh, of collaboration and working together and not maximising what, you know, what I have versus what you have? Why have they not? Yeah, I mean, it's a, re- it's a really good question. I think it's one for us all to reflect on and if we think about the bigger scheme of, of evolution, this is a sort of fairly short period of, you know, this is a blip, if you like, in yep. that. And actually, we have been shown to cooperate very effectively um, to, you know, to get to get to, get to evolve as a, as, a, as a species. So there is that capacity there. And I think that is still there. Um, I think there is a sort of combination of factors, as always, that leads us to this point. The fact that the sort of Western societies that have dominated in recent times perhaps won't dominate necessarily forward, have had, you know, a a much more sort of short term materialist philosophy behind them. And we've actually kind of distanced ourselves from some of those more traditional human philosophies, the values based systems, the, you know, having any kind of um, sort of moral philosophy that that we, uh, you know, that is our compass, if you like. And, and that's really how we've grown up. So there's a big piece around education, what we value in education, what we value in each other, what we reward, um, what we recognise. And, you know, the first part of the book is looking at how did we get here? There's, there's a historical piece. Who wrote history? Mm-hmm. Whose history did we listen to? It's the history of the victors. Um, and they wrote it. And of course, they wrote it in a way that showed them as being really strong. But I do think there's a shift because, hey, now we can see that there are other aspects of history that we've missed out on. We can often access those more. And we're also realizing that, that that kind of worked well in a conventional world, but that stuff doesn't work well when we're trying to think about how we protect our environment. So we're in a really kind of uncomfortable place where we're going, oh, what got us to here is it's really not going to get us in the next piece. And I think there's that kind of challenge now about we've got to do some resetting and, and it's happening. But yeah. um, of course, you know, these shifts take, take time uh, and, and the forces need to kind of develop that, that will be greater in order to sort of move things forward. I definitely think that the sort of sense of purpose, environmentalism is a huge force that's shifted massively, perhaps from from a couple of generations ago. Yeah, fantastic. Well, we're going to go to commercial break again now. But after the break, let's talk about your three C's of of, of clarity and constant learning and collaboration and why these are so helpful in terms of moving us forward. So uh, next bit about how to move forward, really. Back with you again in just a couple of minutes to join us after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching 
facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Kath Bishop, and uh, we are talking about the long win, the search for a better way to succeed. And Kath, we talked um, quite a bit of, you know, about your, your background and experiences and you know, some of the perspectives uh, around winning that we've, uh, we've, we've grown up with and, uh, and tend, to ex- tend to expect. Uh, and uh, you have a, a kind of a philosophy, the three C's, um, when it comes to considering the, the long game in business. So tell us about the three C's. So they they really came out of that that early the early thinking when I started to reframe things for that third Olympics. Um, they also really became honed even further through the sort of last decade or so when I've been working with leadership development and uh, coaching organisations. And I found I just just found time and time again so helpful in shifting thinking shifting the way we do things improving you know getting back into more of a growth mindset more expansive Mm. thinking and getting rid of some of the constraints so the three c's are around clarity constant learning and connection um and they are about so clarity is about clarifying what matters in, in in more than just a narrow winning the next game winning the next race it's like why do you want to win that race why is it important to you and how are you going to go about winning it so what's the the values what's the experience you want to create along the way because that matters you know we've seen these terrible stories around gymnastics in the usa and the uk and and how athletes have been abused on the way to winning a medal you know that that is not okay we know it's not okay to, to dope as well. So we need to get clearer mm-hmm. about that, you know, the, the how. Um, and to be thinking about, you know, almost like some broader success criteria by which, you know, it creates that layer of meaning around the pursuit of, of the metrics, so expanding yeah. the metrics, if you like, as well. So clarity yeah. on what matters over the longer term and linked to more of a sense of purpose. Constant learning is, is, I find, always so helpful. It gets us out of this sort of win-lose, right-wrong mentality. You know, it's, it goes back to that sort of sports psychology that we're just improving every day. We don't know how fast yeah. we can go. 
Um, but we're just here to, to learn and improve. And, and it keeps us in a space where we can make mistakes, but learn. We acknowledge that we are fallible. Yeah. Um, we can show some vulnerability and we bring curiosity rather than judgment. Yeah. Uh, it's so helpful. It gave me the sense that, you know, when we lost races, do you know what? We we still learned some stuff that's going to help us go yeah. faster next time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I just think that it gives us a set of behaviors. Teams work well when they've got that kind of learning dynamic. They're learning from each other. They're feedback rich. Um, they've got that sort of sense of momentum. It gives you a resilience, a lot of literature around resilience, whether it's around managing grief or redundancy or natural uh, natural disasters, um, sort of mental health issues. It's this sort of making sense of things, learning and growing through adversity. We, yeah. we don't just batten down the hatches and kind of be super tough. No, we learn from it. We adapt. We grow as a result of something we experience. So that learning is fundamental to who we are. It's fundamental to our human condition. We just want to let that kind of really come to the fore rather than constrain that. And connection is about relationships. None of us can succeed alone. Um, so let's really invest in that. And often I find in rebalancing a sense of people and task that, you know, we judge, I've had a good day according to whether I've done everything on my to-do list. Yeah. I mean, that's a nonsense. It's just an organizing tool. Actually, it's how you went about your to-do list, how you connected, how mm. you built relationships, um, the quality of your conversations. These are the things that, that will really increase, you know, both your performance, but also your experience. Yes. Yes. And the experience of others with you. And I know you and I both do a lot of work around, around culture um, and culture, cultural transformation in, in companies. And you, you're right, it can, things can be to-do lists, can't they? But, it, but, it, but actually what we have to do is, uh, is connect with people and bring them on board and win their, over their hearts and minds. So we're working as one um, rather than finger pointing and blame and uh, demoralizing yeah. and yeah, because that's so limiting. It limits ourselves, yes. it limits others. We just hold yeah. ourselves back. And that's, for me, the, the, you know, again, the driver of the book is that, come on, we're, we're, we're going about, we say we want to win, but we're doing it in ways, we behave in ways that constrain us. That's madness. Let's yeah. kind of take those shackles off. Let's think about success yeah. in a way that's going to help us to grow, to explore, to learn from each other. Uh, and so that's we need that to be central to success. We need yes. learning not to be about some outcome in the future. It's often got a lot of external factors attached to it. And success is how we turn up today. It's, you know, it, it's how we work, how we communicate our mindsets, our beliefs, our behaviours, the yeah. way we support each other and challenge each other. It's the quality of what we do today yeah. in service of a greater purpose beyond whatever the short-term metric is. That short-term mm. metric only has meaning if it's moving us towards something that has a bigger impact beyond ourselves. And so I find it's almost stretching that perspective of success. So we know what it means today when it's not based on an outcome, when we don't have quarterly figures. I need to know if I've had a good day or not and to have kind of real quality value metrics for that. And I also need to know that what I'm doing, you know, is linked to something that matters in the longer term. And that then informs these kind of finite short-term metrics that are useful information they're useful but they are not the full picture no no they're not and uh, you can't you can't achieve those metrics alone can you none of us can and i mean i think the last few years have shown us more than ever how much we suffer when we are isolated and again these these issues of our time from environmental protection to security across the world to health again you know that the there is no single person that has an answer. There's no one of us can, can really solve these complex 
issues that we face. And so the better we are at collaborating, the more, the more successful we can be. And so it is redefining that, seeing how well have I collaborated today and how can I improve that tomorrow? That's a different part of our reviewing success that is sometimes absent. Uh, and it's a shame if it is, because we want to be looking at that. We want to be judging or, or sort of assessing. Yeah. I've had a good week because I've built these relationships. I've invested in them. I've listened. I've gained another perspective. I found a bit of a flaw in my own thinking yes. that's helped move my thinking on. You know, that for me at the end of a week is what can, can have a sense of fulfillment and the growth is there. The learning is there. Yeah. Yes. And you know, in, in your, your work today with, I know you've been working over in the United States in the last uh, few weeks. And um, do you think that from a, a business perspective, people are starting to get this? There's of course, a, there's of course a large spectrum, but I detect a hunger to do things differently. Mm. Uh, a reevaluation that has come from some of the changes over the last few years and, you know, a, a sense that often we need to change in order to adjust to the enormous uncertainty that we feel about the present and the future. Uh, so I think there are lots of drivers to do things differently, to think differently. And I, I think there is more of an appreciation that we need to step back and you know, reevaluate, look, look at what, what we bring to these situations. So rather than just diving and doing more stuff, more actions, you know, we're, we're exhausted. There's a lot of burnout around. More tasks is not the answer to more performance. And that was something that, that is actually very helpful in the sports world. We know that training harder is not, is not going to help us anymore because we're already doing the maximum physically. We train three times a day, most, uh, you know, seven days a week, most weeks of the year. Another round in the gym is not the answer, but we're always looking to go faster. We're always looking to improve. And that creates a, an innovation, a sense of what could we do differently? And I think people are now realizing that another round in the office isn't the answer. So we're going to have to work differently. We're going to have to communicate differently, connect differently, invest in the quality of what we do and not obsess just about the quantity of what we do. Yeah. Well said, well, well put, um, well put. So we're coming towards the um, end of the interview now. And um, I just, uh, I'd sort of like to take a moment to thank Amanda Brown, actually, um, who introduced us. Definitely. Uh, which is very, very, very good of her. Uh, Amanda, the leading ladies company, was I think her, her last venture I spoke to her about. And, um, but it's, you know, it, it, through connection, it's nice when, uh, you know, opportunities to, um, to meet people like yourself and bring them on the show happen. So, you know, connection is, Absolutely. is great. And, and in fact, I, I met her through writing a book. We were both writing a book with the same publisher uh, and, and we're at some sort of groups where as we were in the process of quite, quite painful process of writing um, <laughs> and her book, Lipstick Principles, um, sort of came out just before mine. And uh, but what I got was a huge, you know, environment of support and challenge from her. And we've stayed in touch since. And so that for me has been one of the wonderful things about the book. It's the connections it's brought, the conversations that it yeah. continues to bring. Yeah, fantastic. And do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with? So I would just, uh, you know, encourage us to think about what does success look like for you at the moment? What springs into your mind? What word, what thought, what phrase? And then to take a step back uh, and reframe it to think what's possible if you worked together, if you collaborated with people around you in a different way? Um, don't have a fixed picture of success, but but start exploring what's possible. Stop being a warrior. Start exploring. Mm, stop being a warrior and start exploring. Um, I think uh, that all makes uh, an enormous amount of sense. And I, I think 
I think it is important to really consider what uh, you know what what winning truly is, and uh, realize that it is a long game. It's um, you know life is a marathon; it's not a sprint. Uh, uh, and and I think your your points around clarity, getting clarity about what you want, what you're heading, keep on learning all the time, keep on connecting, uh, and those the reality that you know success in life comes from every in every moment every connection that we we have during a day doesn't it and the, and the quality of it mm, yeah and, and that's the different lens and I think when you see that you're sort of working at a deeper level there's a lot more fulfillment there's a lot more learning you know it opens up so much more and we're not giving anything up actually we perform better in the short term too so you know we just need to shift our beliefs and, and kind of buy into a, a different perspective yeah yeah well, thank you. It's been wonderful to meet you. I hope you've uh, enjoyed being a guest on the show today. I've thank you. Had... I've loved the conversation. It's been brilliant. Um, so if you want to uh, um, find out more about Kath, go to kathbishop.com. And I'm sure you can buy The Long Win, The Search for a Better Way to Succeed from all, all good online booksellers. Yes, anywhere you would normally buy a book. Yeah, so I would, I recommend it. I thought it was a great, great book. And I don't say that about every book. Um, so on next week's show, we've got Andrew Thornton um, and Andrew's uh, written a book called Putting the Heart Back into Business, How to Place People, Planet and Purpose at the Core of What You Do. Uh, and um, he, he's a former retail expert, um, owned supermarkets, uh, which were hugely successful and very heart uh, driven. And uh, we'll have a great conversation next week on another important matter let's all go and put the heart back into business i completely believe in that as does this show if you've got any um any questions or comments send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk i'm sure you connect through um to kath on social media etc um connect with me as well if you connect with me on um say linkedin for example um do also leave a little note to say that the reason why you're connecting with me uh, and that it's come through this show because i get lots of requests and if I don't know who you are and no one says who, I don't tend to connect. So please do that. But anyway, you take care, everybody. Think about the long win uh, and your search for a better way to succeed. Thanks, everybody. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice of